dismissed for Children's Church, so we will see you later. You know, as we begin our study this morning, I want to address, before we begin, the text we'll be looking into, just a very brief statement about the closing verses of Mark. In chapter 16, verses 9 through the end of the chapter, there is debate among theologians as to whether or not this passage should be included as scripture. Having read the arguments for and against the inclusion of this, um, I would side more with those who say that this probably wasn't in the original text. There are a lot of reasons that we can go into that have um, a lot of technical explanations, but to me the argument that this was not the conclusion of Mark, but that Mark ends with verse 8 is the more compelling conclusion. Therefore, as we end in chapter 16 with the 8th verse this morning, this will conclude our study in the book of Mark. Um, let me just give you a little heads up and look forward to uh, what we'll be going into next. We're going into the book of Acts, and we'll be starting that next Sunday. We look forward to our study and God building his church. So uh, we really, really are, are going to, I think, learn a lot through our study in that text as well. And it's kind of a logical progression after looking through one of the Gospels to go right into the book of Acts. So um, look forward to that. Read ahead and uh, ask God to speak to you as you read the book of Acts. This morning, though, we're going to be looking into the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is essential to our faith. In fact, when you read Paul's definition of the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this is what he states constitutes the gospel, the doctrine that Jesus died for us, that he was buried, and that he rose again. And we'll be looking at that verse in the body of this message a little bit later. But let me say this, the resurrection part of this passage is so essential. Sometimes as believers, our focus is on the cross, and it's as it should be because it is on the cross that our sins were paid for, but the story doesn't end there. You see, after the cross came the resurrection, and if there were only the cross without the resurrection, the story would have ended a tragedy because Jesus would not have vanquished our sin. Jesus would not have conquered death. If Jesus' story ended in the cross, it would have been something that would have been tragic. It would have been something that would have been something that we look at as a marvelous story because of the love that he expressed in going to the cross. But that would have been it. The Apostle Paul goes on to say this. Listen to this out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 13. It says this. If there is no resurrection of the dead then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God, and that he raised Christ from the dead. He did not raise, if he did not raise him, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Strong statement about the importance of the resurrection. 
And that's why we want to key in on this passage. Now, some of you might be looking and thinking about the calendar and saying, Pastor, you're, you're about a month too early, aren't you? Easter is another month. Um, listen, the doctrine of the resurrection should be celebrated all year long, not just at Easter. It's such an essential doctrine to our faith. I think we need to look at it many times during the year and understand the power of the resurrection and what it means for you and for me. But you know, there's something else remarkable about the way Mark presents this. Throughout the book of Mark, Mark has had very little to say about the female followers of Jesus Christ. But here in the concluding thoughts of his book, he almost exclusively hones in on the faithfulness of these female disciples. And he does something that would have been amazing for the first century. He uses women as witnesses to the resurrection. Now, we might look at that in our culture and say, well, why is that amazing? Women are intelligent and women can articulate what they've seen. But understand this, in the first century, women held kind of a second-class citizenship. They were not considered worthy of being witnesses. And Mark really presents something outside the box. He shares with us that these women were witnesses of the resurrection and much more. So it's wonderful, the, the picture that Mark gives us, not only of the resurrection, but of God's view toward the value of women. Sometimes the Bible gets a bad rap and people say it's a sexist book, but that's not it at all. It's not the truth. The Bible presents women, particularly in this passage, in a very, very positive light. So we want to see all of these truths brought out as we look into this text. Now, what we find first that Mark brings out is that women disciples saw the crucifixion and the burial of the Lord. And this he brings out starting in verse 40 of chapter 15 when he talks about how these women witnessed the death of Jesus Christ. Notice he says this, some women were watching from a distance. Now, bear in mind, the male disciples had scattered but here we find faithful women there at the cross. They're watching from a distance at this point, but yet they were there, they were watching. Now John presents something remarkable. He also talks about how close these women were to the cross. When we look at John chapter 19, verse 25, it says, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Now what you'll notice is these Gospels present near and far women who were there at the cross. What could have happened is they were near the cross and got shooed away by some of the high priests and some of the Romans. So when we see divergent accounts of what takes place, there's usually a logical explanation for it, that they were in both places at one point or another. And because these are eyewitnesses' accounts, we're going to see some divergent explanations of what took place. But there are logical explanations as to how this could be. So here are these women. The men have scattered. The women have gathered. And notice that Mark names some of these women by name. He mentions Mary Magdalene. He mentions Mary, the mother of James the Younger, and of Joseph, and of Salome. So here are these women who are gathered at the cross, 
And Mark is bringing them out as eyewitnesses, first of all, of Jesus' death. You know, there are theories that people have floated through the years that Jesus didn't really die. These theories are ridiculous. Most people didn't survive the flogging that Jesus experienced. But compound with flogging, going to the cross, hanging on the cross, suffocating probably from the weight of his own body, that's usually what took a person when they were on the cross, and then in addition to that being pierced by a spear through the heart. How in the world can somebody say that Jesus survived that, was resuscitated in the tomb, bumped the stone that was in front of the tomb with his hip, and hopped out? That's ridiculous. And yet, there are those who will give testimony to the idea that that's what took place. Mark is very clear that these women watched the whole process. They saw Jesus die on the cross. Earlier in the 15th chapter, we saw a Roman centurion who had watched literally hundreds, if not thousands of people die on the cross. And he looks and he says, yes, Jesus died on the cross. So what we find are these women as witnesses. And each one of them had a remarkable story. When we look at the first one who's mentioned, Mary Magdalene, we find her referenced in some of the other Gospels. And the Gospel of Luke says this about Mary Magdalene. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph. Excuse me, I hit the wrong key. We need to uh, go back. And I have lost my verse. You can look at it on the outline, though. On the outline, it says, Luke chapter 8, verse 2, some of the women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary Magdalene, from whom seven demons came out. So apparently, this Mary Magdalene was the same one mentioned here by Mark. And this Mary Magdalene was one who had been demon-possessed and had had demons cast out of her, and she was now a follower of Jesus Christ. It talks about the transformation that took place, how she followed closely, and how she was there. Even when others had fled, Mary Magdalene stayed with the Lord Jesus Christ. The text goes on to talk about Mary, the mother of James and Joseph's. And we don't really know that much about this Mary. We know that she was prominent in the early church, but as far as her mention in the Bible, she is just mentioned by name. But consider this. She was important enough to be included in the eternal word of God. So this female follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, another important person, another one who is mentioned by name as there at the cross of Jesus Christ. And then we also see Salome. Now, Salome was probably the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee. She is mentioned, and this is where we come to the Matthew passage, in uh, Matthew as well, as among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. That would be Salome. So she is a person who is the mother of two of the disciples, And there she is ministering uh, to the others and grieving herself at the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. What we find about these women are they are mentioned in some of the other Gospels. For instance, in the book of Luke, it talks about these women disciples. And notice their dedication. Luke says, after this, Jesus traveled 
from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. So the idea is these were the givers, the supporters, the behind-the-scenes helpers. These faithful disciples followed the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, this says something very powerful about the role of women and the importance of women in the ministry. God speaks clearly of their service behind the scenes, ministering to the needs of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this picture of women that we find in the scripture, that we find in Mark, central, but more than just talking about them, what Mark is saying to the early church is this, these are women that you know. These are women who have demonstrated themselves to be women of integrity. And they were witnesses. They saw Jesus die on the cross. Then we move on. When we come to verse 42, there's a change in scenes. After he talks about these women, and by the way, in verse 41, he says many other women had come with him to Jerusalem and were there also. So that's why when you see other women emphasized by other gospel writers, Mark makes an allowance for that by saying that there were other women there as well. But then as we come to verse 42, we see kind of a change in scenes. And that is, Mark begins to emphasize the burial of the Lord Jesus Christ. He talks about how the women waited while the body of the Lord was prepared for burial. Notice the 42nd verse. It was preparation day. Now, preparation day would have been sometime on Friday afternoon. If you remember in the Jewish economy, the day starts at evening. So when the Jews observed the Sabbath, they would have observed the Sabbath starting Friday evening after sundown. So Jesus died about 3 p.m. Sometime between 3 p.m. and 6 p.m. this takes place. And there was an important law that was coming into play. When someone died and was hung on a tree, according to Jewish law, there was the requirement that that body be taken down, not be left to hang over the Sabbath. The book of Deuteronomy brings this out. If a man is guilty of a capital offense, is put to death, and his body is hung on a tree, you must not leave his body on the tree overnight. Be sure to bury him that same day, because anyone who is hung on a tree is under God's curse. You must not desecrate the land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. So, when Jesus died about 3 p.m., they had a three-hour window to take care of the body of the Lord in order to meet the requirements of the law. Now, why the emphasis on Jesus' burial? Once again, burial establishes that death took place, but also, apart from death and burial, there can be no resurrection. Resurrection means to be raised from the dead. You have to establish that the person died. Now, Mark emphasizes the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ because of some of the false teaching that took place in the first century. 
There were some people who said that Jesus was a phantom and that he wasn't really here in the body because there was a belief in the first century that the flesh, the body, was evil. So some of them came up with a system of theology and thought where Jesus just appeared to be here, but he wasn't really here. Ridiculous, but Mark and the Word of God is addressing that false doctrine. Some people even said that a substitute came in and took Jesus' place before he went to the cross. Some of them were saying that Simon actually took Jesus' place. Again, ridiculous, but they were so locked into a religious system of belief that they didn't listen to what actually took place. And in order to make their system work, they would twist and distort the word of God and the witnesses who were there in order to get their point across. Thankfully, that never happens nowadays, right? Still does, doesn't it? We don't make the word of God fit a system, but every system has to fit the word of God. So here is this emphasis on Jesus' burial. And so on this preparation day, look at verse 43. Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council. So here is Joseph, a member of the Sanhedrin, who is going to take care of the body of Jesus Christ. When we look at Joseph of Arimathea, we find a fascinating study. Here is a person who took a stand against the entire Sanhedrin in order to see to the Lord Jesus Christ and his burial. When we look in the Gospel of Luke, we see this about Joseph. There was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and their action. In other words, when the Sanhedrin decided to crucify the Lord Jesus Christ, Joseph of Arimathea either wasn't in there for the, the vote or dissented when the vote was taken. And then it goes on to say this. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea and he was waiting for the kingdom of God. So what we find in Joseph of Arimathea was a godly man who was a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and became so engaged in following Christ that he did something that would have been wildly unpopular. He saw to the burial of Christ. When we read Mark's account, it says that he was one again who waited for the kingdom of God. And notice it says here in this 43rd verse, he went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Now, I like that statement. He went boldly to Pilate. Well, everyone else was going in a different direction. Joseph of Arimathea took a stand. And he sought to bury his Lord, even at the risk of being identified as a follower. He went to Pilate and asked for the Lord Jesus Christ's body. Then look at verse 44. In verse 44, it says, Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. 
So Jesus died sooner than Pilate anticipated, but Pilate wanted to confirm that Jesus had indeed died. So look at what the text says. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. Again, the centurion would have been someone who was an expert at death. He knew when a person died, it was his job to make sure that they were dead. So here is this centurion. He's being asked by Pilate if Jesus was indeed dead. Again, Mark emphasizing Jesus died. The same Jesus that we have seen throughout the Gospel of Mark died on the cross and was about to be buried. So, when he learned from the centurion, verse 45, that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out from rock. Now we find John make a comment about this preparation of the Lord's body as well when he says this, later Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus but secretly because he feared the Jews. And with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away, and he was accompanied by Nicodemus. Now, if you remember, Nicodemus is in John chapter 3, and he was a teacher of the law who came by night, so apparently there was a heart change in Nicodemus as well. And notice it says Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. So here's the idea. The Jews did not embalm they would take a body and they would wrap it in linen and they would impregnate the, the linen with these spices and essential oils. Now the purpose wasn't necessarily preservation as much as it was to cover the smell of death. And so when the women would later come with additional essential oils, it was that they might replenish the oils that were put there by these men. So Jesus is wrapped, the very body of Jesus Christ, wrapped in these linens and then these essential oils. And again, Mark is bringing home the point that Jesus died and was buried. So, after verse 46 talks about how this was taken, this body was taken, and that he was placed in a tomb that was hewn out of rock, the idea is there were like little quarries where they would go in and actually dig into a rock face, and they would make a tomb, a burial chamber, carved out of the rock. And then in front of the tomb, they would take something like a large millstone, and often for these tombs, there was a groove or a slot that was carved right in front of the tomb that kind of had a slope to it. So they would put this large millstone right in the groove in this place, and they would roll it down the groove right in front of the tomb. Now the idea is this. Once it was in front of the opening to the tomb, it was difficult to move. You can roll a stone downhill, but rolling a stone uphill that's extremely heavy, very hard to do. And so this is what takes place. We find that Jesus is entombed, the very body of Jesus that we have talked about 
all of this time, it's entombed. It's placed in the tomb. But we find something else in verse 47. We find that the women were still there when Jesus was being buried. It says that in verse 47, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Now, when we look at this in our English Bibles, we say, okay, they, they saw it, they witnessed it. But here's what we need to understand. The way this is translated in our English Bibles, saw, we get the impression that they were just passing by, kind of looked, and then went on. The way this is framed in the original language of the Greek gives us a different picture. Rather than saying they saw it, a better translation would be kept watching the Lord's body being entombed. The idea is these women saw the body of the Lord Jesus Christ taken down. They were perhaps in the background watching as Joseph of Arimathea prepared the body, and then they went to the tomb to make sure that the body was placed into the tomb and that it was sealed. So the reason Mark drives this home is because, again, he is establishing these are women who knew the Lord. These are women who would have understood what was going on. They saw the body of Jesus prepared for burial and buried. They were witnesses to the whole thing. Very important in the first century because there was so much false teaching about what happened to the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what happened to the body is exactly what Mark says happened to it. And these were eyewitnesses of what took place. Something else that we should consider. Mark doesn't mention this. But when Jesus was placed in the tomb, we learned something important from Matthew. The next day, one after preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was on or while he was still alive, that the deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day, otherwise his disciples may come and steal the body and tell people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Now, what Matthew brings out is the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees would have been very careful to make sure that no trickery took place when it came to Jesus' death and burial. They had a vested interest. So what did they do? The body of Jesus was placed in the tomb, but according to the word of God, look at what we find in verses 65 and 66, Pilate agreed to do. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. In other words, these guards were put into place with the responsibility of making sure that no one pulled a fast one, that no one took the body of the Lord and replaced it or removed it or did anything with it. Their lives were on the line as guards. Any Roman guard that deserts his post, death. So they were to make sure that everything was on the up and up. And so they went and made the tomb secure by placing a Roman seal on the stone. In other words, all of the authority behind Rome was saying, you keep this stone closed. They wanted to make sure that 
nothing happened. What's funny is something huge happened. It wasn't from the disciples. It was from God. When we go to the 16th chapter, we find that women disciples were the first to receive the good news of the resurrection. And what we see is they wanted to go to the tomb in order to anoint Jesus' body. Look at verses 1 through 3. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, mother of, Jesus, of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. So again, as I said, this would be to replenish some of the essential oils that were already placed on the linens. And verse 2 says, very early on that first day of the week, so this would have been Sunday morning, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance? So here are these women going to the tomb, early Sunday morning. And in going to the tomb, they anticipated finding the body of the Lord, and the tomb left as they had last seen it. They hadn't crossed that ridge or gone around that corner yet to see what had happened. And it dawns on them as they're carrying these spices intending to anoint the body of the Lord as a way of honoring Him that none of us are strong enough to move the stone. Remember, it was a large stone. That's the way it's described in the book of Mark. And it was probably one of those large millstone type stones that was in a groove rolled downhill. There was no way they could even budge the stone with both of them pushing as hard as they could. So they're left with a problem, but they still go to the tomb. And then we come to verses 4 through 5, and they wondered at what they found at the tomb. When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. Rather than finding the body of the Lord Jesus Christ with a large stone in front of the tomb, they found the stone moved. And upon entering the tomb, they found an angel with a message for them. Now this is amazing. Jesus' birth announced by angels. Jesus' resurrection announced by angels as well. We find that these pivotal, important points have God's messengers coming and making sure that people understand something that God has done has transpired. And so this heavenly messenger gave that word to these women. Imagine what it would be like. Put yourself in the place of these women coming to examine the tomb, to find it open, to find the guards gone, to find someone in white, not the Lord, in the burial chamber of the tomb. And then to hear him speak. And that's what we see in verses 6 through 8. We find God's message 
to these women expressed in the last part of Mark. Verse 6 begins with, do not be alarmed. Have you ever noticed how when someone has an audience with an angel, those are the first words out of the angel's mouth, do not be afraid. Kind of figure why, huh? Not something you see every day. When you see the glory of these angels who have been in the presence of God, and they're glowing with the glory of God, your natural response is going to be fear. So I kind of think, before anybody's going to hear anything else the angel says, they have to say, do not be afraid. Because they're not going to hear anything until they utter that. So here is this angel. He's saying, do not be alarmed. And then he says this, you are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. What an important message this angel delivers. Again, emphasizing that this is the same Jesus that they had worshipped, that they had followed. The same Jesus who had been crucified on the cross. He is now risen. The body that had died is now the body that is raised. Not a substitute, but the body of Jesus Christ. And why is this so important? Because that informs us of our resurrection. Do you realize that when Jesus returns, our bodies will be raised and transformed to be like his glorious body? That's why the Bible gives such emphasis that this is the same Jesus. We will be the same people that we are, but with resurrected bodies. And that's exciting. Without all of the wreckage of sin, we will be raised to new life. If you have a loved one who has preceded you in death, you will see them resurrected. If you are struggling with disease and sickness and just weary from the world that you see around you, there's a resurrection that's coming for us. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. His resurrection demonstrates for us the truth that we too will be resurrected because Jesus has conquered sin and death. And his resurrection is the proof. Mark's statement, he has risen, that he quotes from the angel. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. All evidences that Jesus had been resurrected. So what an encouragement to us. And what a thrill this must have been for these women. They look and they see an empty slab where Jesus had laid. And a heavenly messenger saying, yes, what you see is true. Confirmed in their hearts and in their lives. But then he gives them a message. Look at verse 7. Go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. Now it's amazing that the angel talks about his disciples and Peter. Peter, as you recall, had denied the Lord three times. This speaks of the forgiveness and the restoration that God had for Peter. Even after such monumental failure, Jesus says, 
it's okay. He's forgiven. He's restored. The power of the resurrection demonstrates to us the power of God's forgiveness and victory over sin. His sin had been dealt with on the cross, conquered as demonstrated by the resurrection. And you know, the same is true for us. Sometimes we look at ourselves and we say, I'm such a failure. I, I, I battle with sin and I lose the battle. How can God forgive me? And yet, example after example of forgiveness and restoration as we turn from our sin to God, the power of the resurrection is there to transform us. You see, not only is there the power of resurrection at salvation, but we can walk in the power of the resurrection as God continues to make new people of us right here, right now. So these women are given this message that he is not here, he is risen, and they're to go and tell the disciples that Jesus is going ahead of them into Galilee. What a wonderful statement that is as well. Disciples, your work isn't finished. Jesus is going to meet you in Galilee, and he's going to give you instruction, and you will see him there just as he told you you would. The resurrection is the beginning of things. For the disciples, it meant a transformed life for them. Think of this, before the resurrection, defeated and afraid. After the resurrection, strong and bold and ready to carry the message of Jesus Christ, even if it meant their martyrdom. The resurrection transformed the lives of these people. Now notice Mark ends in the eighth verse by stating this, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now, there are some who have taken this eighth verse and they've said, well, the women ended with disobedience. I don't think that's what's going on. Because when you read the other gospel accounts, the women did indeed go to the disciples and share their message. Unfortunately, when they shared their message initially, the disciples didn't believe them. But what I think was going on, there are different kinds of fear. There is the fear of man but there's also this reverence and awe of God. And let me tell you this. If I had seen the empty tomb and had been spoken to by an angel, I would need a little bit of time to decompress and sort of process what just happened. And you know, I believe that's what happened with these women. They were obedient to the message, not immediately, but once they had decompressed, processed what had been said, they went and they told others about what had happened. And you know, when I look at this command to go and tell others, while it was directed toward these women to share with the disciples, we have a similar command, and that is we are to go and share the gospel the truth of Jesus' resurrection with others. That's part of what God calls us to do. While we may not have been eyewitnesses in the flesh of what happened with the resurrection, we have experienced in our own lives what happened with the resurrection as God changes us and transforms us. So an encouragement to all of us is this. 
share the good news of Jesus Christ. This morning we have seen the importance of the resurrection. We have seen that Jesus died in the body, was buried in the body, and was raised again bodily. The emphasis on the resurrection of the body of Christ is essential to the gospel. The Apostle Paul shares with us this passage. What I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And after that, he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And the passage goes on to say that he appeared to more than 500 people. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a well-established fact. And it's a well-established fact because it is core, the key to our faith and our belief system. The resurrected Lord is our power over sin, our hope of eternal life, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is essential. So rather than just thinking about it at Easter, think about it every day. Think about the blessing that you have, that you are changed, transformed by the power of Christ's resurrection, and you have heaven to look forward to where you will experience eternity bodily when Christ resurrects you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text. Thank you for 